truth of ours, actually, in the theme of the church, uh, we've been talking about building family. Um, and, I mean, since moving here, there hasn't been a, a family I've felt more loved by, uh, a church family. And I think uh, it's just been such a gift to be able to move here. Um, but I'm excited to keep, uh, you know, uh, to be able to keep digging into this theme and to keep seeing how God uh, was using this one family to build uh, to build a family that would, would extend to us um, from all nations, uh, which is really inspiring. So open up your Bibles to Genesis 21. Um, we're going to be looking there to get today together. Um, and uh, last time we had service, we, we had a really great Father's Day service, and it was really encouraging. Um, and the time before that, we talked about Genesis 20, and uh, we talked about habits. And how Abraham, uh, we kind of came to a familiar scene where Abraham... Uh, in the face of an authority figure, says that Sarah's not his wife, uh, but that she's his sister, right? And we talked about how how Abraham had this core sin of lying, um, and how it kept, and and how as a church, uh, I think for us, we have to go deeper, right? That there's these these issues that, as long as we've been a Christian, these are core character stuff um, of giving into fear, lying, whatever, that, that can parade, and all of us have those core sins. All of us have those issues. And um, today, as we're looking at Genesis 21, we're going to actually see more familiar scenes. Uh, that Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and all these characters have kind of had before. And it's really cool to see how God has helped them to mature over time. We're going to check that out. Um, but, you know, since we started our study of Genesis, we've seen humans, rather than choosing to trust God and to trust his version of what's good and wrong, uh, they choose for themselves, right? They take the fruit. They're like, I'm going to define what's good and evil for myself. I think it's good to get wisdom, so I'm just going to go for it. And uh, we see humanity start to crumble, right? It just gets worse and worse and worse. First it's Adam and Eve, then it's Cain and Abel, then the Tower of Babel. But there's hope, right? There's hope uh, in this one family, Abraham's family, uh, to bless all the nations, to restore the garden where God and humans can be back together again. But there's a problem. Abraham and Sarah are barren, right? They've been barren for years and years and years, and God made them this promise that they're going to have a kid, but it's been decades, right? And time has passed. There's been tons of uh, baby mama drama was one of the lessons, right, where she gives Hagar away uh, to, to be married. And, um, you know, we've seen them kind of try and figure out, okay, how do I trust God, but also when is this going to happen? Um and, uh, you know, despite all of these ups and downs, it's amazing to see how God has a promise through it all uh, to, to bring forth a child to Abraham uh, that we would receive a promise through. And uh, that moment comes in this chapter after all the waiting. So let's pick up in verse 1, and we will, uh, we'll start to look at this passage together. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham, yeah, go Isaac. <laughs> Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, or Isaac. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me, or will itzak with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I 
have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Wow, let's just pause there for a second. How amazing is this, right? I don't know if you guys noticed this, but this passage is super redundant. It keeps saying, and she bore a child to him, and she bore a child to him at this age, at the time that God had promised. What God had said, uh, Abraham did as he commanded. He was 100 years old. They keep the example on this idea because it's this is a miracle. I mean, nobody would have thought that this 100-year-old woman, she even asked this question, right? Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And the obvious answer to that is no one but yeah. God. And over and over again, we see that it emphasizes God's deliverance on his promise. And we see Abraham mature in his obedience, yeah. right? Uh, circumcision, the covenant of circumcision, like we talked about, that was the first time where he immediately obeyed God. He didn't drag his feet. And we see here that he's learned, right? He's obeyed God. Uh, it's amazing. And uh, this this birthing process would have been incredibly stressful for them because there's a high infant mortality rate during this time. Um, and, uh, and so the pregnancy would have been really dangerous for both Sarah and for the child um, at her age. But they held this great feast when he weaned. Uh, usually, actually, they, they weren't weaned until they were three years old uh, during this time because that wasn't the time until they would have been considered to be able to like survive on their own. Um, so through all of this kind of stress of this really old woman giving birth to a child, they've kind of come out on the other side. And it's really encouraging. But even in the midst of this incredible promise fulfilled, uh, not everything is perfect. Let's keep reading on. Okay, come on. Verse 9 says, but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking, or itzaking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. So, why is she so upset over him mocking? It's actually kind of similar to when uh, Hagar becomes pregnant and says she looked down on her mistress. Uh, now that there's this new child, uh, uh, Ishmael's looking down on Isaac. And he's actually, this idea of Ethiopian, it's almost, it's trying to be Isaac. It's trying to be the first son. He's kind of looking down and he's like, you're not going to be the first son like I'm going to be. And so Sarah sees this and she's like, she's like this this slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son. You notice there's kind of a distancing there because Abraham, it says he was greatly distressed because it concerned his son. So she's saying it's the slave woman's son. Get rid of him. He's never going to share in the inheritance. Even though he's the oldest child, he's never going to share in the inheritance with my kid. And he's like, but wait, this is my son. And, and this uh, this very distressed, there's, it's never used again in the Bible. It's like, this would have been a very, very violent outburst towards Sarah. This would have been like a total, you know, knocking all the stuff off the shelves and screaming at her and, and being so upset because he had this deep care for his son that he'd loved for years. Wow. So let's keep reading on. Verse 12, but God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then set her off with the boy. And she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in that skin was gone, she put the boy down under one of the bushes 
Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Okay. So where we're at so far is we've got two familiar scenes, right? We've got Sarah and Hagar, and we've seen this before. And then we've seen Abraham and God. And before this, we just saw a familiar scene of Egypt, where Abimelech and Sarah is given over to the king again, right? And so now we're seeing all these repeated issues. And, you know, for me, I have some problems with this passage. I'm not sure about you guys, but I have some issues when it comes to what God is doing in this passage. How could God agree with Sarah? How could God agree with Sarah that it's right for this woman to be kicked out of Abraham's family? Why would God ask Abraham to exile and divorce his wife and exile his firstborn son? Why would God allow Hagar? I mean, honestly, this is my biggest question. Why would God allow Hagar to be entrusted to the care of Abraham in the first place? Right? If you remember, uh, when she got pregnant, Sarah mistreated her. Uh, This could have been physical abuse, verbal abuse, maybe a combination of the two. And she runs away, and God says to go back and submit to her. Why send her back to be further harassed by her mistress just to ultimately be divorced and exiled into the desert, running out of supplies and on the verge of death? Um, What kind of God would do that? Um, You know, Hagar's name literally means uh, to be dragged off and pressed into service. Um, And you think about Hagar, so she was a slave, right? She's an Egyptian woman, she's a slave, and she was forced into marriage by her mistress. And for any of us, that would be stressful (laughs) Um, to be forced into a marriage, especially by someone that doesn't even care about you, uh, with the same person. Um, And then not only that, but she's forced into pregnancy. Right? She's forced not only into marriage, but then to having a kid with, uh, by her mistress. And then that same mistress mistreats her. And then God has her stay with them for years. Um, and she's building this closeness and watching her kid develop only to be divorced from the wealthy patriarch. She leaves in the desert, and she doesn't, have, she doesn't really have anybody with her. Right, Her child's about to die, and she doesn't have the man that's been with her this whole time, this wealthy elite guy that's spiritual and loves God. Um, And so she's exiled and wandering in the desert. She's lost. She's depleted her supplies. Um, This single mom with her teenager is dying. And in the midst of all these great promises fulfilled, we've got new questions of God's character coming up, I think. Where are your promises to make Ishmael into a great nation if he's about to die in the desert? Why did you send me to submit to be mistreated by my my mistress. Um, how could you let me be taken as a slave and pressed into service? And I, I think this wouldn't have only been hard for for her, but also for Abraham. I mean, he had to watch these people that he loved. He had to obey God and send them into the wilderness with nothing. Right? I mean, that it's not only hard for Hagar to have to face the situation, but Abraham has to divorce his wife. I mean, that Divorce is hard. Uh, and then not only that, but to be able to be sending his first son off into the wilderness. I mean, he was very distressed. And, you know, I think for us, I think we can relate to this in the question of, like, feeling abandoned. I think we can feel abandoned uh, sometimes, right? 
I mean, this is a story of a single mom with a teenage son. And that's a pretty familiar story for a lot of us. Um, or at least people that we know, right? Uh, to, and that's, that's a hard life. Um, and, you know, the question for us is, you know, have, have we ever felt like God's been unfair too, right? That he's had the good life and a promised plan for someone else, but not us. You know, maybe not. you're not married and you've been wanting to be married. Um, and you're like, man, God has that promise for someone else, but not me. Or, you know, you've been trying to have a kid and you can't have a kid. And it's like, man, God, you know, someone else has that promise, but not me. Or maybe you've been unemployed for a long time. And it's, you're, you're wondering, man, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Where's your promise for me? Um, you say that you're working for the good, but it doesn't feel like it. And, uh, you know, maybe you're not in this place right now, but I think we all have someone that we're close to that's gone through this. We all have someone that we're close to that we've had to watch go through hard things. And sometimes that's even harder, right? Sometimes we don't question when, when the hard things are, are happening in our lives. We're like, God, oh, no, God's got a plan. It's going to be great. But when we see it going on in someone else's life that we feel like doesn't deserve it, like Abraham must have felt with Hagar, that's hard. And, um, you know, I, recently, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, my aunt, had a seizure and like fell and like broke her face and like a bunch of different things. It was like really scary. And then my dad got Lyme disease the same week. My grandma had uh, knee surgery the same week. And this was all during while I was leading an internship. And I, I was kind of feeling like, God, like, why are you doing all this? You know, um, not necessarily feeling abandoned, but just feeling like why it was hard for me to watch someone that I, people that I was close to going through things that I felt like they didn't deserve to go through. Like, why is my dad going through this disease that he might have for the rest of his life? And, like, totally limits his energy and all that stuff. Like, he's been such a faithful servant. Like, how can you let that happen? Um, and the question for us is, how do we deal with difficult circumstances when we don't see the promise of God coming true? Right? Um, you know, for Abraham, God had just fulfilled this long-standing promise before he asks him to do the most challenging thing he's had to do yet, uh, which is give up his firstborn son. And I don't know if you guys have ever had a time like that where God does something awesome and he fulfills a promise and you're like, yeah, this is great. And then he asks you to do something even harder. And you're like, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, sometimes even in the Bible studies, you know, we hear the cross and we're like, man, we're so convicted and it's so inspiring. And then God asks us to leave behind the thing that we've been following, right? And it's like, oh man, right? To, dump, to, to leave the ex-boyfriend or the ex-girlfriend. Um, or to, to prioritize God over your work or whatever. And uh, God has a promise for both of Abraham's wives and children, but one takes a lot more trust to believe that God is going to really take care of them. You know, with, with Sarah, he can protect her. He's there. But trusting that God would take care of Hagar and Ishmael uh, in the desert with just some water and some bread seems a lot harder. And the question is, you know, I think that this passage really forces us to wrestle with what is up with why would he? Why would he let this happen? It seems so unjust. Yeah. Why would he put everyone in this situation? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But let's uh, let's start in verse fourteen again and read the rest of this story um, and see how God moves. Verse fourteen it says, "Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar and set them on her shoulders and set her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba." When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she said, 
Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went up and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Okay, another familiar scene. Um, you know, Abraham sends, his, sends him off. And uh, does anyone know what usually happens at wells? This is a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, but in the book of Genesis, there's something very iconic that happens at a well. When there's a woman at a well. What usually happens? Does anybody know? Huh? They meet someone. Do they just like meet meet someone? Oh yeah, they meet someone, right? Yeah, they meet a spouse. Usually, this is when someone meets at a well. Usually, uh, that you know, Isaac will find his wife by by a well. Jacob as well. Um, this well scene is iconic. Um, and but the the strange thing about this scene is that when Hagar's at the well. She, she doesn't find her husband. Actually, she's divorced. Right? She doesn't come to the well and find her husband. She's actually divorced and doesn't see anything um, with her male heir who's about to die. But God was the husband and the father that they didn't have in that moment. Uh, God, uh, uh, earlier when Hagar sees God for the first time, she says, this is the God that looks upon me. And even when she didn't want to look upon her son, God was looking upon her son. And uh, he heard. it says that he heard his voice. And who Hagar and Ishmael belong to this whole time has kind of been up in the air. And, like, they, you know, Sarah calls them the slave woman and her son. Abraham says it's my son. God says it's kind of both of their son. It's kind of been all over the place. But... And, and Ishmael's name isn't said the whole time, but Ishmael's name means God hears me. And the thing that God says is, I heard the boy. He says that I see Ishmael, I hear Ishmael, God hears. And he opened her eyes to a well. And this would have been not only life for her of actually having water, but it also would have oriented her of where she could go next. And all these problems that we've had with God's character, it actually makes a ton of sense when you take the time to look back. If God never allowed Hagar to be with Abraham and entrusted into her care as a slave, she never would have had a blessed lineage. Uh, she goes on to create an incredible lineage uh, with 12 kings, just like Israel. It's amazing. If she didn't go back to submit while she was pregnant, she would not have been given the chance to see, have the boy grow up with a father and learn how to be a man. And, uh, the, the time that it actually passed, it was 17 years um, by the time that uh, Isaac was born. And so he would have been just about old enough to be able to lead the family. Um, in addition, mom, she as a mom wouldn't have been able to help uh, help him find a wife from Egypt. That's usually the patriarch's role, is to go and find a wife uh, for their son. But she learned through being a part of Abraham's family to go and get her son a wife. 
God equipped her to be able to survive and start a nation without a husband. Um, and I just want to shout out to the single moms. You know, God sees you and God hears you. Um, and you are strong and that God uh, is able to, is with you in a way, even when you feel alone, that, that God, you are never alone with God. Um, and God hears you and looks after you, and he also uh, looks after your kids and hears your kids. And, you know, Sarah was actually, Sarah in a lot of ways was on point to say, she was referencing God's promise when she said that Ishmael wouldn't share in the inheritance. Um, it was the promise of God. And I think in a lot of ways, God is preparing Abraham for a bigger test that's coming up next. In the next chapter, he's going to be asked to give up Isaac. And so God in all of these things is preparing Abraham, preparing Hagar, preparing Sarah to be the people that he wanted them to be. Um, and Abraham had to trust God's promise to be the husband to Hagar that he couldn't be. In the midst of seeing her go through all that stuff, she, he actually had to trust that God would be the husband that he couldn't be. God had a plan in all of these things. His promises were fulfilled, but it took time and it took trust. And... It took not taking things into their own hands, but putting them in God's hands. Yeah. And I think that that's the challenge for us, right? That's the challenge for us. Yeah. It's to not be self-reliant, but to trust God's story for us. To trust that he is going to fulfill his promises. To trust that even when we don't see, even when we're in the midst of the bleakest of circumstances, that God is going to be provided and that God hears us and that he sees us. Mm-hmm. Even when we feel abandoned. And I think all of us fall short of that trust. Yeah. All of us decide when we when we don't see God coming through, we, we try and find ways to make it happen. Right? Mm-hmm. But Jesus did not. And, you know, the story up to this point in Genesis has been humans that are asked by God, do you trust me? Do you trust me not to take the fruit? Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve. Do you trust me, Cain, that I will accept you if you do what is right? With Cain and Abel. Do you trust me, Noah? To build the ark and get into it, even when you've never seen rain before. Do you trust me, Abraham, that I am going to give you a son, even though you are old of old age? Um, and Adam and Eve, when they eat the fruit, their eyes were open. But here, God opens her eyes to a well because she trusted, because she cried out, and He showed He showed her where she was and gave her the ability to keep going. And I think the amazing thing about Jesus is that even though he knew he was going to go, even though he knew he was seen and heard, he chose to not be seen and heard. Even though he was accepted by God, he chose to go be abandoned and forsaken from his father. Rather than being led to a well of refreshment after crying out to God, he was led to the cross for our refreshment. And he was in the most difficult circumstance to trust. Rather than a well of water... He became a well of blood from which we would find life and direction. And the only reason that we can be seen and heard is because we have been to the well. You know, our sin separates us from God. Our sin sends us into exile, but God is faithful and leads us to the well every time. God exiled his first son so that the children of promise could be brought in. And so, brothers and sisters, you know, the call for us today is to trust. Uh, even in the bleakest of moments, like Jesus, to trust. Not in man, not in our circumstances, but to trust in the blood of Jesus. Uh, The well of eternal life. To give us what's good, even if it's hard. 
to trust the one that was forsaken for us, but who says in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I think if we can do that as single parents, as single people, as orphans, as widows and widowers, as exes, and everyone else that's in a hard spot, unemployed, or anything else, or, or, or someone that knows people in that hard spot, we can confidently say, as Hebrew 13 finishes, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. Let's pray for communion. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.